Ladies and gentlemen, All About Reality is back to you today with a great guest, one of the originals and one of the great minds in our industry. Sigmund Bloom is coming to us from Football Guys. Goody, Sigmund, welcome this morning. We're happy to have both of you on the show. How are you guys doing? Well, I'm doing great. You know, it's another beautiful morning in, in New Orleans, a sunny morning, which is all, what we always want to see during hurricane season. <laughs> Indeed. And Goody, how are you doing out there? I, I, I'm doing great out here on, on the left coast. It's it's a little early, but uh, really happy to have Sigmund on the podcast. And, you know, whatever time we have to do these things to get the high quality guests that our listeners deserve, I, I'm all about it. All right, right away. I don't want to like waste our time with you, Sigmund. And and to start the dance, you have been caping up significantly for the Kansas City offense and yeah. for Travis Kelsey in particular. And so in the RSO format, we wanted to get your insight as to like what like what percentage of your cap, like how how deep do you want to go on your like assertions behind Kelsey and like how much is he really worth to like towards winning a league, do you think, at this point this year? A lot. Um, as much as the big four running backs, honestly. I have him slotted in him at number five. Uh, and I believe when you look at the likelihood of Tyreek Hill missing time, which makes him the primary target for some stretch of the season, Zach Ertz is probably going to take a step back. Dallas Goddard's going to play a bigger role. Deshaun Jackson is there to provide a bigger threat outside, etc. cetera. Uh, George Kittle... I think probably benefited from backup quarterbacks being in. As an aside, we, we aren't saying enough about how spectacular it was that Kyle Shanahan and company kept that offense afloat with backup right. and, and a third-string quarterback. But George Kittle was the life preserver. Uh, and I think with Debo Samuel, with a healthier, hopefully, Marquise Goodwin, a healthier, hopefully, Dante Pettis. So that gap from Kelsey to the next tight ends is going to be larger. And... Really, it's just watching Kelsey and Mahomes. They have a special connection. They have the kind of connection that Brady had with Gronkowski, but with a lot more potential for peaking in targets and catches and yards. And as Scott Barrett, who was on my show a few weeks ago from PFF, said, and I think it's leeching into people's consciousness, that Kelsey might not just be the number one tight end. He might be a top five wide receiver. So if you can get that kind of production at tight end, it's such a massive advantage and it locks in the potential to have the best lineup in your league. Because if you can make up the gaps you give up in the first round at running back or wide receiver with better picks later, smarter and smaller investments, then no one's going to catch you. Now you've played on RSO, you've yeah. seen the auction format. And so, for example, this time last year, we were still uh, like tiering kind of Gronk in that top tier with Kelsey and Ertz. Mm -hmm. Um, those guys fetched, um, so Gronkowski is averaging about 21 million per year on leagues that don't give you amnesty for his contract and retirement. Uh, Kelsey's averaging about 18 million per year. Ertz is averaging about 15 million per year. When you talk, when you look at a, a tight end, you're describing a paradigm shift that puts him and vaults him up into like perhaps like the $30 million yeah. per year range. And so is that a price you're comfortable paying for, for Kelsey at this point in his career as he turns 30 this year in the, in the season? I am, I'll, you know, we'll watch that. I think he had a clean up ankle surgery. He did have microfracture way back when, but we haven't heard any telltale signs on like say Todd Gurley that, uh, or Tony Michelle, that this is something that could limit him this year or limit him in the near term horizon. And let's be fair uh, at tight end, the greats, 
tend to, much like a wide receiver, the greats tend to produce into their 30s. You know, guys like uh, Tony Gonzalez or Jason Witten. Uh, you know, these are players, Antonio Gates, that might not experience the steep drop-off that, say, Rob Gronkowski had because of all of his surgeries. So, yeah, when I look at, at any kind of auction format with a typical lineup, I think everybody underpays for their first-round pick. Uh, I think that... Uh, 30% of your cap, 35% of your cap is what the most valuable players are worth. When you talk about VBD, like we do football guys or value over replacement or something like that. Uh, and with Kelsey, we just don't know how high that can be. And some of this really hinges on, I want to circle back around to the idea that we believe in Patrick Mahomes. We believe in this offense and the player that he's most comfortable throwing to in this offense is Travis Kelsey. That's awesome. Now, Goody, you had some concerns largely uh, largely because of like how things have played out injury-wise. So talk to me about where you're coming down uh, hearing this from the horse's mouth, so to speak, from, from Sigmund himself. Well, I, I think what Sigmund did a good job of was he allayed some of my concerns about the, you know, Kelsey turning 30 this October. Um, obviously, he's had, had a couple concussions, had this, had the microfracture knee, which is way behind him in 2013. And, you know, this ankle surgery, you know, they're calling it cleanup. So at this point, like, I don't think they're doing anything secretive there. Um, you know, the good, really good examples on Tony Gonzalez and whatnot. So, I, I mean, I think where, where people – you know, play RSO may have a paradigm shift is that they're not necessarily used to ponying up, you know, $30 million a year for a tight end. So I, but I, I think the positional advantage Kelsey did come in in our top 10 receivers in league scoring last year, if you had been a receiver. So if you're, you're in a, you know, a, a pretty deep league, you, you know, the differential between tight end one and tight end 16, if you're in a 16 team league, if you're in a 12 team league, so kind of a little bit of the same is, is pretty massive. So, I, I mean, th 30 million, 30 million a year on 188 is, you know, about 15% and change. And, and I, I think that's where I would be advocating. Now, one question I do have for you on segment, yeah. segment in the RSO format. How many years are you giving to Kelsey in this? With you know that with the fact that he he is turning thirty, you know you, you can draft rookie tight ends. It, it hasn't been successful, in the, and usually there's a couple of year learning right. curve on that for a guy even like OJ Howard to to produce. You know, even if you're getting those guys for one and a half to five million a year, like wh where's the happy medium for you? I'd on be, years for Kelsey. I'd be fine going three or four years. I, you know, I don't see an impending drop off. Patrick Mahomes is just getting to cruising altitude. This, unlike a lot of offenses. So another thing that's happening around the league is offenses are running through eight or nine, <clears throat> excuse me, or 10 different players, uh, which is going to make weekly projecting tougher. It's going to make the quarterbacks do well on the offense, the larger production pie get larger, but Week to week, it's going to be difficult to target the best bets. Otherwise, uh, unless we're projecting the psychology of the offensive play callers and understanding the weaknesses of the defense and how they're going to distort the defense. But Kansas City is the exception here because Kansas City is going to continue to run through like three or four players. They're going to continue to run through Kelsey Hill or Hardman and Watkins uh, and Damian Williams or whoever the running back is. They're not an offense that is getting so stocked with two or three tight ends that they can use and three running backs that they can use and four or five wide receivers they can use and deploying them in all kinds of formations and all kinds of personnel sets. So I think Kelsey remains a cornerstone of this offense for a while. And as you pointed out, 
tight ends are slow to develop, and generally tight ends are very disappointing. Here's the fantasy football <laughs> ritual, okay? The fantasy football ritual is every year there's three or four tight ends that we feel comfortable with. And then there's 15 tight ends. Everybody has a few pets, three or four pets. This is going to be his year. This is his situation. And some of those pan out, but most of them don't. So, And we're, and we're still paying for in an auction are one of our more optimistic ranges of outcomes, right? Unless you're lucky and nobody else wants the player that you want, but you're going to have competition for, you know, Jared cook. Now that he's with the saints, you're going to have competition for, uh, you know, a, a, somebody that, that could be coming on. Um, you mentioned OJ Howard, if he is under contract. So we're probably going to overpay for the other guys too. You know, I'd rather overpay for year three and four of Kelsey to make sure I get him now and get that advantage now. And RSO really encourages sticking your neck out for players in year three or four because the per year rate drops significantly on those contracts. So why not, if you're going to put that kind of money out, that kind of, uh, not the amount of money, but the ex the committing one of your long contracts, why not to a player where we know everything is stable and prime for success? That's a good call, and I and it actually pivots to something I was going to ask you about later in the show. But I think yeah. one of the ways that I grew about it grew as a player was listening to you, and on your podcast most recently, you had Davis Maddock, and you guys talked a little bit about um, the kind of tying yourself to the fortunes of really explosive offenses, which is not like uh, terribly innovative. But I thought I something triggered in my head for RSO because I remember when as a young player I would listen to you guys and think that, and then. But in RSO, are there any organizations that mm -hmm. you, you're like, look, for two or three years, I think the stability would be there. These are the kind of organizations I'm going to actually, as a fantasy GM, tie myself to because I trust their real front office. I trust their real right. organizational capacity for greatness. So. Yeah, I think there are three, and I'll keep hitting on this on shows, uh, other people's shows, like I'm on with you all today or on my show, where people that are regular listeners might get tired of hearing it. But I think that Arizona absolutely comes to the top of the list because of how committed they are to going hyper aggressive on the offensive side of the ball and really the necessity for that. Uh, and it's exciting to think about what the potential is there. And then to a lesser extent, but still pretty strongly Cleveland and Tampa Bay also look like organizations and, and with Tampa, you know, there's a little bit potential of instability at quarterback with, there's a little more unknown at quarterback with Arizona. So maybe Cleveland could be the best with the, the intersection of the quarterback, ascendant quarterback Baker Mayfield, and then Todd Munkin, who created just uh, extraordinarily large passing yards and touchdowns pie to split up in Tampa last year. So, you know, he's go also going to be aggressive. So you have a lot of things aligning there. But these are the offenses. I'm writing an article about this right now, actually. These are the offenses that provide the best possibilities of, of gross overachievement. Because really, when we think about fantasy football, you know, there's we spend a lot of time on the player and we spend less time, but still a lot of time on the situation and the surroundings. But I think abstracting out that level to the offensive puppet masters, this quality of the organization is, is still an, an important part of the picture and the one that I'm spending more time on now. And it just gives you a wider margin of error. You know, if the offense is functioning well, if they're making good play calls, if everything is, is executing well, then the player just has to be competent to hit like in his mean or median range of values. And if, he, if this player is actually starting to peak, now we get into that, my favorite part of fantasy football, which is where we have the unknown upside.
That's awesome. And so, and Goody, you're a competent player. So what do you, what, what, uh, what offenses would you characterize as like ones that you want to tether yourself to moving forward in, in terms of the organizational capacity for greatness? Right. I, I think, I think the first thing, it just kind of took me aback to hear the Browns front office considered as, right. as, as stable <laughs> or anything else as, as a native Clevelander Browns fan, long suffering Browns fan. So, I mean, we've soak got, it up, we, soak yeah. up this off season, enjoy it, bask in it. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I, I do think there is an ascendant offense. I, I don't have much shares of it just because of previous disdain and, and playing reality sports online <laughs> prim, primarily. <laughs> Um, but you know, obviously, obviously Kansas city, I, I still like, I still like what the Rams are doing regardless of, you know, t Todd Gurley's status. I think we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, you know, to, to some degree, I, I, I think that those are, those are two, of you know, in terms of, I, I mean, t Tampa's a trendy one with Arians. I, 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 I want to really see what, you know what's behind the curtain with OJ Howard this year because I think and what you know what what they're doing at running back. So I I'm, I, I do think that there, there's a lot of potential there. I I really like the Colts. I I, I would tether to the Colts offense and then I, I you know as much as you hate hate to hear it, Luke. I, I think that I, like I, I'm expecting big things out of Rodgers and company this year in Green Bay. Yeah, no, I, I think I think there's some good polls there. I too like have a, a lot of optimism surrounding the Colts. Um, Simon mentioned earlier that the San Francisco 49ers, the fact that like with duct tape and bailing wire, they put together some something significant last year. I think I'm really excited to see them with all their new toys on the field this year too. And uh, um, so like the, that's another one that I, I'd be comfortable like look projecting two or three years ahead and then actually like an old standby I, I do think down in new orleans i think the saints uh until they prove otherwise they just have demonstrated that they're the kind of offense that are continuing to put players in, in positions to succeed i like to see that out of my fantasy assets so those those are a few there so goody why don't you take us further you were you want to talk a little rookie action with us if you want to pivot away from this stuff Oh, uh, de definitely. Let, 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 let's talk about everybody's favorite topic. Um, not Daryl Henderson. No, um, ah. I, on the rookie, on the rookie side, um, our, our CTO, the wonderful Kyle English has provided us some eight. A lot of folks have already done their rookie drafts in, in RSO. And, and so I have ADP for, you know, a, a top 24 here and, and with rookie contracts, you know, typically on the high end, going about seven million a year at the top of the rookie board, and you know, further on down, like towards the end of the first round, three going for three and a half million, and then second round being, I would say, about one and a half million a year. Are, are there particular guys that you are liking either at their current "quote unquote" ADP, or you know? something else i specific i have a specific question with that besides the sure what you're liking and that and that's and i started thinking about this it and the specific question is when are you in a rookie draft picking going after a high variance player versus something that you think is fairly more proven yeah well look there's not going to be that many proven just the nature of a rookie draft right. it, it's it is and and really we can go circle back to our discussion and by the way i feel like just to go off uh, aside to it another team to watch uh offensively is cincinnati because it intersects with the rams and a few other things so just keep that one in the back of your mind folks out there but i, I think that 
you know, th- what we have that's known when we're taking rookies are at least the initial plans for the rookies and the quality of the organization. Um, really, you know, Josh Jacobs is a known here. Um, I think Kyler Murray is a known, uh, and he might be a, a really good target uh, because he could set the standard for fantasy production by a quarterback with the all the factors he's at the convergence of. Um, I, I feel like DK Metcalf is a, a pretty well of a known be, just because of Russell Wilson, even though part of the known is a low volume pass offense. He's <laughs> going to get really valuable targets, right? Like Ty, Tyler Lockett last year blew up po- the potential. <laughs> you know, you're in Seattle, so you know, like the idea of we will we'll, targets, you have to have this many targets to matter for fantasy football. What Tyler Lockett and Russell Wilson showed, it's not that many, not when it's Russell Wilson, not when it's Tyler Lockett. I think not when it's DK Metcalf. And honestly, I think. Goody, when you're looking at the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth pick of your of your rookie draft, I mean, maybe Paris Campbell or someone somewhat safe is there. Debo Samuel was somewhat safe, but they have lower ceilings. I prefer to get to the high variance guys at that point. So late first round. Um, Hakeem Butler is one of my favorite guys, but everyone's going to have different favorite guys. Maybe it's J.J. Arthega. Whiteside, I'm trying to get that right. Uh, um, deference. <laughs> Barcelona accent. Exactly, yeah. the Catalan. I've been yeah. to Barcelona, and that's very important, you know. But at some point, when the world destabilizes, they may break off and become their own country yeah. again. Uh, so, you know, I think that everybody has a favorite. Um, and it, and the, the good thing here is that trading down, especially in a format like RSO. So really, in the RSO format, your rookie draft is so much more important. Uh, much like how it is in the NFL. This is why teams are willing to give up so much for a first or second round pick in the NFL, because it's the opportunity to bank production at a deep, deep discount. And unlike in the auction where you have somebody else dictating, well, if I'm willing to pay $5 million a year over four years, then you have to pay $6 million. Well, I'm willing to pay $6 million, I have to pay $7 million. Nobody is that, It's funny because RSO very well maps to how, I mean, if we're going to get off into the weeds here, which I do... Uh, frequently, it's it you know the, the draft is, is tantamount to illegal collusion because what how different would the draft be if it was like the auction? How different would the draft be if teams that you know didn't weren't the worst team or one of the five worst teams could say, well, we really want Quinn and Williams. We're willing to pay Quinn and Williams twelve million dollars a year right now. Um, so because of that, you can lock in this production at a deep, deep discount. And as you described, it, it, you know the the upside outside of say the top three four is is pretty level through the mid-second you can rank your rookies your 20 is going to be nine number seven my number seven is going to be your 20 and there's going to be a lot of variance so trading downs incentivize because you're going to get somebody that is ranked higher on your board than the price you're paying for them and then the way those salaries diminish if you can lock in someone that's one of the eight or ten best producers from this rookie class with a late first round or second round pick, then you're going to have an advantage of all of that surplus money to spend elsewhere in the auction. So, uh, you know, th- these players, um, and, you know, players that I find myself gravitating to in these rookie drafts uh, that I'm generally higher on than others also would probably include, um, you know, Marquise Brown, of course. I, I, I think that people are scared by the Ravens pass offense, but it, it's going to be okay. Um, I mentioned... Butler and getting a little bit deeper, Damian Harris. And I think Damian Harris is a player that is primed for the RSO format because I don't think Damian Harris is ever going to be one of the 25 or 30 best running backs in the league. Long term, I think he's going to blend in. But I think because of Sony Michelle's knee issues, because we're at the tail end of Tom Brady's career, because this team is leaning more balanced or run heavy in 21st century NFL terms, Damian Harris is in a perfect situation to be used a lot 
right away. And he's following to the mid late. I mean, he's a player that's going to be very useful in the RSO format. And he's going to cost. I mean, guys, when Damian Harris at his ADP, what kind of player are you going to be able to get in the auction for the same price? Like someone you're barely going to use. So Damian Harris would be a major target with a big red circle around him in the second round of RSO rookie drafts. You're totally right. More than any running back, perhaps besides Daryl Henderson, he, the the drumbeat has started to pick up around him as the ambiguity surrounding Sony Michelle has started to scare off owners a little bit um, as we go along. But yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely. And I and I said to that Goody asked me before the show, and I and I tended to agree with you. I think starting around five or six, I'm going to start taking big swings with the rookie draft because quote unquote safe players that we've seen in the past have not. I mean. Is Corey Davis really safe despite like his he performing relatively to expectation? I mean, he's a rookie and like he's he's developing, but he I mean he was going number one overall, and people thought that was a shoe-in to be the next big thing. And and I was one of those people. And yeah. as a consequence, like, yeah, I think we 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 just have to adopt the mentality that we actually need to have some kind of epistemic or intellectual humility. We don't really know what these rookies are going to do. And Damien Harris seems to be part of one of those organizations that we've been touting. And, exactly. and I think he, like, they'll find a way for him to work in the NFL. Yeah. What we do know is the quality of the decision makers, the quality yeah. of this. That's something we have much more certainty about. And that's what I wait every year when I do my rookie rankings. I wait that more and more. My rookie rankings pre-draft and post-draft look more different every year. Given given that, let me narrow it down to just the first round for you. Then, sure. when, when you are committing like five to seven million, it, you are you're right. It's still part of our collusion. We still get yeah. to like net these players. If you had to like say one player this year, like that's the guy that I, I'm absolutely willing to gamble four years of my cap on. Is there a guy that like stands out to you that like this is the one that I think I, I right. think I'm more comfortable with than any other? Well, it's kind of boring to say Josh Jacobs. Um, it's it's you know it's even a little bit boring to say DK Metcalf. Although I think I'm higher than most on DK Metcalf. Um, but I'll just come back to Kyler Murray because I, I think that as a, a fantasy community and the NFL community in general, we have a, a bit of a blind spot. Although it's going to come around. And again, the RSO format means that if after three or four years it all goes south, which I, I think that the bottom range of outcomes for Kyler Murray in terms of fantasy and NFL is still pretty good uh, because he's so early in his career arc as a player that, and it's so easy to forget. I think folks that can take themselves back to Michael Vick with Chip Kelly, he was an unfair advantage. I don't mm -hmm. care quarterbacks and you can get one in the late rounds or stream and all that good stuff. It just like Patrick Mahomes last year. If Kyler Murray can provide a five, six, seven, eight point, advantage over the next quarterback or the next quarterback that isn't Patrick Mahomes that makes up for so much else and again it's like Travis Kelsey it increases your weekly ceiling so much that your team becomes a lot more dangerous and we have never seen I, I, I'm because I exaggerate a lot I get excited but I don't think we've ever seen the convergence of factors we've seen around Kyler Murray Number one, the love affair between him and his coach that has gone on for five or six years. Where Cliff Kingsbury, who is seen as this offensive genius or, or innovative mind, has always pictured Kyler Murray as the guy that could unlock everything in his offense. Then you have a Kyler Murray, a player that's going to be primed to run a lot, which we know what that does to fantasy ceilings, and pass aggressively. And with a fast pace, a lot of plays run. And you can tell by the personnel moves the team made in the offseason, they're fully committing to this. They're, they're not afraid of being – Cliff Kingsbury, bless his heart, like Chip Kelly, he's not afraid of being embarrassed. He's not afraid of saying, well, he went too far. 
He's not going to water down or dilute what he's doing. He's going all the way. And at least for the first year or the first two years, the NFL is going to have a catch-up period to this, just like they did with Chip Kelly. And Chip Kelly really failed as a personnel man, not as a coach. You know, look what Chip Kelly was able to get out of Colin Kaepernick from fantasy perspective. So Kyler Murray, guys, I think three or four weeks into the season, when when the games that Arizona's playing against teams like you know the Ravens, um, I, I forget there's a potential shootout early on their schedule, and then we might be seeing like 52-45 kind of scores because Patrick Peterson is suspended, and Kyler Murray could be like doubling the number twelve quarterback in production, and seven million is modest, and I think the worst case scenario is you'll still get most of that. The, the only downside is you may not get all the excess production that you expect. So in an RSO format, I think you still have to go Josh Jacobs number one because of the running back scarcity. But I think it's totally defensible to take Murray number two. Man, this is uh, – I feel like the picture you paint of the Arizona offense, I feel like I'm just walking into one of those – I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm optimistic. It's, yeah. It's a summer carnival. Like, there's, like, there's like <laughs> games on one side. There's, like, there's kids screaming. There's, like there's – like, I mean, it's awesome. But I – and I and I have to say, right, we're slightly over a decade removed. I like the Vic comparison. And and I'll never forget, like, you know, the, the year following when Vic brutalized the league – that was when arguably the biggest name in our industry, like like Matthew Barry, put on the, on the four letter. He was like, "Look, he should be your number one overall pick." Like to me, that's my only moment of pause. I was like, I, "I I'm with you. I think I I think it's worthy taking a risk on a player that could be number one overall and give that a fair advantage." We just saw Mahomes do it to a lesser yes. extent last year, so I, I think you're, I'm with you on that. And I like again, I I, I laud any kind of like we're not we're not playing for second place. We're we're all trying to win these things. Right. We, we want to trash talk. I, I want to hold things over like Goody's head for an entire year. You know, <laughs> like this is what we do, right? Like so, yeah. So Goody, what's yeah. up, man? You want to hop in on this too? Yeah, I I do want to hop in. I mean, my my one concern with Kyler Murray, I, I I guess first off, if you're if you're talking about from an RSO standpoint, I and I know you know like. You know, my former editor Jay and Sigmund's friend JJ has ingrained the late round quarterback thing into people's minds. Um, you know, but there is a lot of upside with Murray. So, like, if you're looking at RSO and you're looking at spending seven million dollars on Murray in the first round, say as a top five pick, is his current ADP is you know six point five seven, but that's that ranks as number five, and you know probably some super flex leagues too. He's a, he's the number one pick in super flex leagues, no question. Um, you know, so if you're comparing that to a guy like say you know you're a 10, 12 team league, and you can grab Philip Rivers seems to be a guy who goes year to year. Um, you know, for maybe say 10 million, you're paying for the quote unquote known commodity of Philip Rivers for 10 million or someone like Murray for seven. I, you know, yes, the upside is huge on Murray. And, and I want to contextualize that for our listeners. Second point, um, I just want to go over the, the ADP of the, at least the top 12 with you. Um, segment and see if you're, sure. you want you want to poke any holes in, yeah. in this just because this is kind of hot off the presses, middle of June, you know, rookie draft. So Jacobs, obviously, number one, Nikhil Harry, number two, David Montgomery, number three, Miles Sanders, four. There's some injury concerns there and some crowded, crowded offensive pieces. So, like, let's put that in the parking lot. And if you want to comment on it, let's mm -hmm. hop in in a minute. Kyler Murray, we've talked about ad nauseum. Um, DK Metcalf at six. Mm -hmm. AJ Brown is college teammate at seven. TJ Hawkinson, much like the NFL draft at eight. 
Paris Campbell, who, you know, I, I think in some rookie just isn't getting the love that, you know, one would think at nine, Marquise Brown at 10, Debo Samuel at 11, and then it's really close, but you have Noah Fant, say, as a 12-team league as the number 12 guy, and right behind him is Daryl Henderson at an ADP of 13.24, and I, and I imagine that's probably starting, that should be ascending. Right. I, we went nuts about it on the last podcast, saying, you know, high variance, a lot of unknowns with Gurley. So any thoughts on, sure. on that spread? Well, looking at it, and you and you were talking through the RSO lens. Correct. Uh, yeah. So I think that in the RSO lens, we have to um, dial back. Although, um, you know, you still can keep a player in your system, uh, in your organization, easier uh, than, say, a keeper league sometimes. But it isn't like a dynasty league where you're drafting the entire player's career. You really should be narrowing your focus. What, what's the default? Is it three-year contracts? Is that what all the rookies get? Three or four, just depending three, on your league right. settings. Yeah. So, you, so you should really be thinking about it in a three or four-year window. And because of that, some of the players that are – and this is why trading down is going to be incentivized, again, because – now, granted, we're going to have some divergence, but I think David Montgomery is going to be part of a committee for at least two years. And honestly, I don't think he's going to show out enough in the first two years to make the Bears think, we don't, we've got our running back situation completely solved. I think Matt Nagy is going to always want to trot out two or three viable running backs to give defenses different looks. Miles Sanders, while Philadelphia has employed that in the past, I think maybe starting as early as next year, Sanders could be closer to a do-everything back than they've had in the Doug Peterson era, any of the guys they've had there. Still, that being said, uh, behind this offensive line, Jordan Howard could have great success. They could still extend him. I mean, if it's working, if it's clicking, why wouldn't they pay a, a modest five or six million dollars a year for Howard to keep him? So there's some risk here. There's some risk here for the tight ends, slow to develop. Every year we, we see this where rookie tight ends take longer to hit. And George Kittle being this unicorn, this <laughs> uh, this this terrific uh, outlier. So I think that you're making similar kinds of boom bust bets in the late first and early second as you are honestly in, in that mid first. If we're just narrowing, especially the first year or first year or two, even Mikkel Hardman, who I really love now, I guess I overestimated the NFL and the chiefs sort of doing the right thing. I mean, Tyreek Hill could be back uh, and Hardman could blend in. So really you, that's when you start to look at guys like Deontay Johnson and Ortega Whiteside and, and Isabella and Butler and some of these early second round types. Um, AJ Brown is another one. Look when, so again, keeping with this theme of what, what do we do? What do we know when I see the potential for instability coming up, instability at quarterback for a wide receiver, um, with Tennessee. And we could be looking at Tennessee at this time next year and say, who's their quarterback going to be? Is it going to be Tannehill? Are they going to begrudgingly bring back Mariota? Uh, that's not good. So I just see that the way the ADP, especially in RSO where you're narrowing the window that you care about when you're drafting, again, the number two, three, four player with the ex expectation that Henderson should be up in the top three or four. Um, but even with Henderson, there's some uncertainty about Gurley. But man, give me like 12 touches in the Rams offense, and that's equal to like 20 in a lot of offenses. So Henderson's going to be fine. Once you get past Henderson and Murray, and Harry is another one, by the way, that uh, could be slow to build that chemistry with Tom Brady. It's going to be a balanced offense. So I think if we're looking for that front-loaded production, 
it's not there, honestly, past the top three or four. And most of the value is going to be getting the same kind of player late in the first round or in the second round that you would have gotten earlier in the first round. Yeah, I think it, it's well noted. And the more that we continue to play in the RSO format, it's something that like my listeners and, and like and and that Woody and I or Goody and I have have gone after in our in our listing is that like for example, in my mind, because of your description of front-loaded production and because of the value that gets added to running backs if they hit right away, I've even started to elevate as I do my own lists over and over again. Justice Hill starts yes. to creep up like over these other like like I'm not saying he's a better player than than these wide receivers who I like a lot, but I think you can go get them later. Right now, they're the most expensive they're going to be. And if they hit, then I'm willing to pay for whatever they like. I'm willing to pay like premiums and draft picks and better players to go get them if I really see them produce on an NFL field at that point. Whereas, like, I, I like to lock in my running backs. They, 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 yeah. they only last for two or three years. And so, typically, and so I'd like to go after them. Um, goody. We are also talking we, – we haven't talked a, a minute about roster construction, and, and we, we're both excited to have Sigmund on because he can give some insight in general auction formats and, and just what we wanted to talk about. So do you want to set the table for that at all, what, what you and I wanted to get back to some of our game theory um, roots a little bit while we, while we have Sigmund with us? Sure. I, I think in the context of this, we, we've kind of talked about – a little bit about percentage of cap space in the Kelsey vein. Um, and, you know, obviously mo most typical RSO leagues have one four-year contract to give out two, three-year contracts and three to four, two-year contracts. And, and, and I guess the question for you on that is mm -hmm. given that like a premium receiver is going to cost you in the 35 to $40 million range, a top tier running back. And I'd say the top four would be, you know, McCaffrey, Barkley, you know, Zeke Elliott's and probably Kamara are, are also looking at maybe that 35 to $40 million range, maybe even on the higher end for the top two. Um, and, and then, you know, quarterbacks, obviously some people fall, depending on whether it's a super flex league, 20, 25 million, uh, probably for QB one and QB two is probably, you know, close to around 20. What type of strategy would you potentially take? Like if you have a favorite or a couple, like four, if you're in a startup league, you're going a four year contract mm -hmm. on one guy. What, what are you focusing on? Your three year contracts. The two year contracts are a little more interchangeable, so we don't necessarily need to go there. Right. So in a startup, I think that there is a potential, and I totally agree with the idea of running backs being that cornerstone, uh, and you've got to get your running backs right, and then it's easier to to you know um, stick and move with wide receiver. Spend, get a lot of cheap bets that one or two of them just need to pay off. Um, so, you know, in a startup, I think that you might be able to get somebody like, for instance, um, a carry on Johnson or um, yeah, Tennessee just gives me so much hesitation. But, you know, <laughs> a, a, you know somebody like Derrick Henry, you know, somebody who is you want the money you invest at running back to give you that prime of a player's career. So you want to get somebody who's on that upslope. And uh, or maybe even Nick Chubb. I think Nick Chubb might actually be my, my my answer that I'll go ahead and commit to here at running back for a four year contract, simply because the addition of Kareem Hunt has dampened enthusiasm about Nick Chubb, even though everything about him in the 
Cleveland organization, with the exception of a few things they have to work on the, on the offensive line, which might be reason to not like David Njoku, at least in the short term. Uh, Chubb, Chubb could score 20 rushing touchdowns. I mean, this could be a highly prolific offense, and the dude is just running roughshod over the league, and Kareem Hunt's going to add another aspect to it. But because of that uncertainty, you can lock in a proven running back one in an ascendant offense cheaper than you should be able to. And even your three-year contracts, you might want to use that way. But I like also mixing in getting those players that are on the where everybody's starting to come down on them uh and maybe they shouldn't be and that's where you can you want to bank that surplus production and you have the cap room to throw out in the auction every year so somebody that's going to bounce back like potentially a marquise goodwin or somebody that's going to um turn things around with a clean slate like john ross uh and then um i think that players like and this is where it gets risky and this is where you know some of these work out some of these don't Giovanni Bernard, Duke Johnson, these guys are still, what are they, like 26, 27 years old? I think maybe Duke might be, you know, 26. They're still in their prime just because their teams don't want to use them. That can get rectified in the next two or three years. Now, as you pointed out, you don't have many of these contracts to give out. But if you lock in Giovanni Bernard or Duke Johnson right now at the perceived value right now, and then tomorrow Duke Johnson gets traded to Tampa Bay, or, uh, you know, they after, you know, Travion Williams and Ronnie Anderson both hit and Giovanni Bernard just becomes a surplus player. These guys can be foundational players in other offenses, and they're still good players. We haven't seen any sign of their drop off. It's just their usage. Um, so I think that these are players that I like to put these multi-year contracts on because locking them in at the perceived value now could bear fruit. And then the other way I would look at this when, when I do RSO uh, leagues is I will get the win now players on two year contracts because I think they're this the production for this year's being undervalued. So I will commit an extra year to get Julian Edelman because I think he might catch 125 balls this year. I will commit an extra year to get Deshaun Jackson because I think that Carson Wentz is an excellent quarterback for him. They're riffing already. And he was a top five fantasy wide receiver with Ryan Fitzpatrick last year. So I think because these players are being underestimated in the short term when, you know, the, the RSO auction is one of the most adrenaline inducing events in any fantasy calendar. And you have to have a few high level things that you can refer back to while the bullets are flying and you're sweating. And you, it, at every moment you have like 10 seconds to decide something that you may regret for years. And I think having a few of these like high level things like, Having that second, when you're going back and forth, I'm sure you all have experienced this so many times, right? You're going back and forth with someone like another million, another million, another million. And you get so caught up in the rhythm of it that you're like, am I really paying like $20 million for this? Like, because you just get so driven on it. That extra year can sometimes be what slows down the momentum of the person in a bidding war with you to say like, okay, I can't actually match that in a two-year deal. While they're still pushing up the one-year contract, boom, boom, boom. You're paying like, half or 60 percent of that because you're willing to commit an extra year in the service of winning this year yeah let's talk about that extra year because i love you're absolutely right and i found both my best moments and my worst moments at rso auctions have come with committing that extra year for example the the contract data that we have in front of us tells us that rso owners as of last year, we're still looking at two and three years on the contracts of big names, but guys that are painful to think about now, like LaShawn McCoy, DeMarco Murray, mm -hmm. 
even a guy like Jeremy Langford are 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 talk, taking up double digit millions in cap. So give us give us the Sigmund Bloom like pothole, like the the like eject button. Like if this is, starts to happen on one of these guys or two of these guys at running back or wide receiver that you just think, given where they're being valued by the community and redraft or being valued by the community in dynasty, like you want to pull the ripcord now and like right. don't get into a bidding war on these guys this year. So you're not looking at these these terrible contracts to improve. Right. Or maybe even trade them. And maybe right. even trade them before we hit that pothole. Yeah. Um and, and Sony Michelle comes to mind here. Just because, look, what the Patriots are doing with Sony Michelle, I'm not sure that Damian Harris isn't better because they're not using Michelle as more of a pass catcher and a space player. They're using him as a between the tackles runner to like run the plays as designed and get the value of that running play. And Damian Harris is more powerful, tougher to bring down, um, and obviously he doesn't have the the knee issues. So we may by week six or eight see a healthy Sony Michelle giving way to Damian Harris uh, in, in a way that makes people wonder, well, what do I even have now? What do I even have when I have him? Leonard Fournette is a player that all it takes is one more slip up off the field or one more thing that makes Grandpa Coughlin mad. And he's he's out of the circle of trust. You know, it, 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 it's, it's anytime you have these players that are in these precarious positions in terms of the uh, stability with the, the marriage between the organization and the player. Uh, I, I think that, that that's where you get really wary about making that commitment. And Goody, you can speak to this. I think all three of us are of a mind. Perhaps the best advice that we've given so far is to take those big shots on players that are like authentic stars, right? Because if you, we also have all sat at an auction where we're now we're sitting at the bottom of our tier and realize there's only one or two guys left we'd be comfortable with. And suddenly we're spending millions of dollars yeah. on Lamar Miller. And we're just like, I just need a running back. Like, let's do this thing. So, um, so Goody, is there anybody that to you stands out as a guy that you're, you're just terrified of at the price that he's going to cost you at auction in the startup this year, or even it as like someone who's reasonably available at, in, in free agency um, in, in established leagues. Yeah, that's a good question. It's funny. While, while you're asking Sigmund that question, I kind of had in my head, who is he going to say? And, and luckily I guess Fournette, right? I, I'm glad we've talked about Sony Michelle a lot today. Cause we, I don't think we had hit him on the pod, um, you know, mainly cause there was no news until like the, the knee scope thing. So just for our listeners, Damian Harris is going around 20 in ADP right now. Get, if you're in the middle rookie drafts, Pop up, I get him. I think that I think there is definitely a carved out role for him there. And um, in terms in terms of guys, I'm not I'm avoiding in auction for those types of reasons. Um, I, I think a couple come to mind. I I I think that the price or the off season love for even though I really like him as a player and I have shares of him. I'm a little, I'm still a little skittish on Dalvin Cook. I'm not paying thirty million dollars a year for him over, you know, many years at this point. You know, if you have him on a rookie contract, I think that I'll bear, you know, bear fruit this year. And, um, you know, but at, I, if I'm in a startup or a league where somehow he's a free agent, I, I don't want to spend thirty million dollars a year for him. And and I think that that his price is going to be around there. Um, that that's cert that's certainly one. Um, I, th I think another one probably 
I I am kind of taking in also, and I, I've liked this guy, but I'm taking a little bit of a cautious approach with um, Keenan Allen a little bit too. Love the receiver, but I, I think the price tag is starting to get up there, and and you know there's some you know some rising pieces. You know we don't know what Hunter Henry is going to bring the offense. We don't know how long Philip Rivers is going to be around. So I mean Keenan Allen last year was about twenty five million dollar average with two years left on his deal, and and so that that's one. And then it, um, the other one is just a, if prices are going a certain direction type, I, I, I don't want to spend more than $20 million a year on Adam Thielen this off season. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I think um, as I kind of have been prepping for my auctions and things, I, I see guys that some of you have described, and it's weird, guys that I'm really comfortable with this year, like the James Connors and the Damian Williams like these are guys that I'm really happy to have on my team for a season, but because of the precarious nature of their position, I'm not sure that I want them three or four years down the road um, on my team. And so, and that that's the beauty and terror of running backs when you're bidding on them is, is often you have to extend their contracts to get a reasonable price on your, on your immediate salary cap. And, and you can see how real GMs and real teams get themselves into trouble. Um, Goody, before we we spend these last few moments in the in the company of of Sigmund Bloom, like I have a couple of fun questions for him. Do you have any other specific like RSO uh, questions that you want to get a little bit more of his insight before we we let him wander off onto the New Orleans streets? <laughs> I, I, I think actually I, th I think he's you know he's covered a lot comprehensively. So I I have a fun question as well that I'll get to after yours. Just a couple PSA type notes for our for our listeners. Um, I, I know we don't talk about IDP much on the podcast because we ourselves don't really play in those leagues. But in the data that Kyle furnished, there were three players in the top twenty-four ADP for that were defensive players. I just wanted to gloss over those quickly just so our listeners have that foundation. Uh, first one being Nick Bosa going around pick fifteen. Next one, linebacker extraordinaire Devin White from LSU um, going around pick 17, 16, 17. And then another Devin, Devin Bush on the Steelers, which I, I really like that pick that they made there. And Steelers seem to just hit on linebackers all the time. Um, and he he's going between like the 17 to 19 range. So I wanted to make sure we talked about that. We've already talked about Daryl Henderson should be creeping into first round if you're not not picking him now on the on the 12 dog year touches that <laughs> Sigmund's yeah. talking about being worth 20 um you know you're 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 behind right now so that, that that's that's it really closing out on the rookies and then I, I think let you know let's jump into the fun yeah so a couple of questions I had for you so you can take them in whatever order you want uh, sure. on your 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 favorite memory from from mm -hmm. joining this world that we're in in terms of the fantasy industry and then the other one is in a world absent football and you had to construct a game like a fantasy game around something else what what would you like build that Ooh. game around so yeah fantasy game oh wow that's a good one the fantasy game but let me take the memories one first sure. because um because the game is a question like i'm gonna get i'm gonna wake up in the middle of the night like three days from now and say i know the answer to the memory <laughs> game now yeah. uh and I'm, it's because that's a really great question um on memories you know it's hard everything um forty and slip like to say floods in uh, as we talk about new orleans streets um but <laughs> I can, I can go back to the original uh, genesis of uh, the Audible, my podcast with Cecil Lammy. And really um, what it was about was you know, we were both draft geeks and just spent way too much time on the draft. And it was, I think, 2006. 
2005 maybe uh that he called me after the draft and said and we just talked for about three hours about everything and it was really exhilarating because it was somebody that was as interested down to the minutiae as you were that it validated you spending all this time on this in a way and that you found it fascinating but also you got to interact with another live mind about these things and then cecil said do you want to do this and record it and i think we actually even were taking like he had a telephone and put the uh, receiver next to like a cassette recorder like we, we were super low tech back then i think it was before the word podcast was even a word um <laughs> but it really embodied what brings this whole community together right it's this idea of i, I think that a lot has changed over the last 15 years a lot has changed over the last 40 years or 50 years in terms of the football audience and we have to take a big tip of the cactus steve sable may rest in peace and Greg Cosell, who's still out there doing great work, you know, when they said, why would anybody who watches football want to think while they're watching football? And that's what we're all about, right? I mean, we let it wash over us and react to it, but we love the thinking about it. And then that moment when the when our podcast was born, it felt like, you know, it's like the infant. I called the Internet Twitter our, our whole scene, like the infinitely long sports bar where you can always pull up a stool and there's somebody interesting to talk to you about football and then who knows what else because it's the community in a lot in a time whenever the internet people will say it's terrible or how can people be like this uh our fantasy football community for the most part is very gracious very uplifting a family really um so that takes me back to that moment there's been a lot of things along the way too, you know, because of this platform, I got to interview Ed Bouchette a few years in, I was totally starstruck. I was reading ah. stuff in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette when I was a kid, you know, so lots of those kinds of moments. I also come back to, and this is more draft than fantasy, that um, when Cecil and I were at the Texas versus the nation game in 2009, and we were making, we had, we did video before video was cool. Um, I don't know if it's that cool yet, but anyway, <laughs> And this <laughs> this this uh, this dude comes up to us and says, "Are you Cecil and Sigmund?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah. How do you know? How do you know us?" Well, I watch Draft Guys TV. Oh, well, you know, who are you? What's your name? I'm Andrew Hawkins. I play. I I no I, I, I play. <laughs> I play. I play in this. He think he was in um, the CFL at that point, and he was just hanging around football and doing whatever he could to get on the radar for the NFL. And he had watched our show, and he said he really enjoyed it. And I'm thinking. Well, I'm just doing this more to entertain ourselves and our buddies and, and the people like our buddies. And if an actual professional football player that that we know and 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 if he finds value in our content, well, what's possible here? Uh, and I think that those kind of moments, no matter what you're doing, just it, it's like a turbo boost to your trajectory in life. And I encourage everybody to take time out to do that for other people around you. I always just like to say, you know, our moms teach us like. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. But the, the converse of that is if you have something nice to say, say it. Tell somebody to, to, to be nice. Um, now, the, and I could go on and on and on and on about happy memories. It's, happy is good. Wow, the, 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 the fantasy game, um, this is going to sound morbid. And I don't know what it says about me that this is where my brain went. But this is where my brain went, so I'm going to go with it. Oh, okay? no. And that's all that we got for you today, folks. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, no, no. Um, and, you know, this kind of like it's it's um, reminiscent of like what the, what do they call like the Deadpool or something like that? Like, or, you know, but um, it's going. So <laughs> I'm just going to go with this. Look, I think fantasy football is therapy in a way uh, for everybody in a, a world where more and more things feel out of our control. 
it's something that's totally in our control, like our picks and what happens, even though football's not in our control at all. I think it creates a sense of calm for folks when they're managing their teams, when they're reading about football, when they're watching football. And again, back down here in New Orleans, um, and again, you know, I know we're going to the political minefield here, but I, it's, it's there. Climate change. It, I mean, I think, and I think folks that live in at more equatorial latitudes are already very familiar with climate change as an everyday factor in their lives. And I think, given time, it's going to creep up the globe. And it's going to be an everyday factor in a lot of our lives. And in New Orleans, it's obviously on our minds. So perhaps some sort of like fantasy weather disasters or, okay. or like refu like fantasy refugee crisis or, you know, like what's the population of New York City going to be in 2030 or, you know, which neighborhoods are going to have the biggest population rise and fall? Because on one hand, it's going to be chaotic and terrible and tragic. But on the other hand, we are going to need to trooper on as human beings as this thing unfolds. So maybe some sort of fantasy game <laughs> that shows how much you know and how much you can anticipate about climate range, climate change disruption in the human race. That's so funny. And on, and as I, so I teach often at, at both the university and high school level and the gamification of these different ideas is actually proven to be really helpful in the classroom. And so I think to, to your point, I think it's very cathartic for people and forces them to think about things mm -hmm. in a way that they otherwise wouldn't. And so I, I actually don't think it's terribly morbid, maybe insightful as to how we go about that for sure. Mm -hmm. So, and Goody, you said you had one more before we bounce out of here. I, I do. And I think I'm going to ask this to all our guests going forward because I just really love the Twitter dialogue I had a week ago on this. All right, Sigmund, <clears throat> if you're picking fantasy players on your team from the movies and TV, mm. from folks who are in football, yeah. football TV shows or football movies, who, who, who you got in your roster and why? Right. And give me a second because my brain is old and um, I want to make sure I get the name right. It was a it was a, a, one of the great roles. I think one of I think our introduction to Forrest Whitaker, who's one of our one of the most underrated actors charles jefferson i wanted to make sure i got the name right mm -hmm. charles jefferson first overall pick has to be an idp league i guess but um absolutely like that's it that's the guy i mean and maybe my team would do some sort of motivation program based on that you know like before every game we would pick someone's most prized possession and have somebody trash it and then that would be how we run into battle so <laughs> i think that if you had charles jefferson from fast times ridgemont high leading your team you would just run roughshod over the competition well thank you so much for uh taking some of our favorite like sacred cows in the program and trashing them and running with that <laughs> and, uh, and and so on twitter where our, our followers going to go look for you as they and our listeners going to go look for you mm -hmm. Sigmund. yeah at sigmund bloom and you know we're just we got um uh, you know, football guys is going to cover you from every angle. Whatever we're we're sick about this. Like we think about it too much. We talk about it too much. We write about it too much. And if that describes you at all, then there's a place for you with football guys. And so, as you might have heard from him, the Audible is like a really great and longstanding uh, podcast. Like certainly one of the ones that I've loved and like brought me into like deeper into the sickness and into this great game that we love for sure. Um, so 
I would recommend everybody go listen to that for like a professionally done and really thoughtful and really great guest. So like that's one thing that I would point you to. Goody, where are they looking for you these days? Uh, find me on Twitter at Matt Goody too. And let me just do a shout out. Like the football guys content is really good. I get the daily emails. There, there's some deep dives. Our, our buddy Matt Waldman is, is doing analysis there as well. <clears throat> All the guys between Joe and Sigmund and Matt and, and many others just contribute such great, unique content. So I, I appreciate that. And they also evaluate your redrafts or maybe your, you know, your auctions to a lesser extent, because it's kind of a little hard to plug in, um, you know, RSO stuff because it's so specific. Uh, so th- thank you for coming on and, and quickly to our podcast listeners. Yeah. Keep, keep the, keep the reviews coming. Um, please, please judge us on, on, you know, more than one podcast, like, you know, obviously sample sizes, like I think we got a recent review that, that you know, did it based on the last podcast we had. And, and I think like, you know, would love to be evaluated over our entire body of work. Um, one more thing for the summer, Luke, you know, especially for folks doing startup leagues or anything else, Luke and I are available if you, if you want to try to do some consult, you know, have us do some consulting for a rate, if you're looking to, you know, have us help with, you know, your auction strategy and those types of things. And we'll see who's available or, you know, I did a little bit last summer and it's pretty rewarding. And it kind of led into the 15 and 0 season that Luke and I had in a sheet that I had prepared for our, you know, podcast league auction. So keep the reviews coming. We're available for that type of stuff. You can find me at Matt could too on Twitter. And, um, you know, we, we appreciate each and every one of you, Luke, any final words? Uh, this was Luke O'Connell at Fantasy Doc Ock Sigmund Bloom. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been our most recent episode of All About Reality.